You are listening to the Therefore a Geek podcast, episode 111. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek. I am here in, not really in the studio, well, we're in each other, our own studios. Uh, I'm in mine. <laughs> Mikey Mason. Yay! Rockstar Mikey Mason. And mm. we are talking about American Gods. I've never heard is... of that. What is that? <laughs> this is Neil Gaiman's book that came out actually quite a while ago, five or six years ago, I think. Yeah, and no, much more than that. Has it really been? Well, you know what? I think I actually, yeah, the 10th anniversary edition is what I actually have in my hand. But anyway, so this is a book that our other legendary host, Andrew, read probably two or three years ago, and he's been bugging me to read forever. And Mikey, you read this and were so struck by it that you wrote, recorded an entire album based on your feelings about this book. And then I just recently read it about three weeks ago, and I was completely floored. I had a book hangover yeah, for a oh. couple of, of days afterward. And it was it's that feeling that you get when you read a really good book, and it, you don't want a sequel because sequels are never quite as good, and you don't want to read something else set in the same world, and you don't want to read something similar by someone else. You want more of that. You just want the book to be more. Yeah. And no. yeah. <laughs> it's it's incredible. And I haven't had that feeling about a book in a very, very long time. I When I was a kid, it felt like every book did this for me. You know, when you're young, you... You're not exposed to everything. In fact, I, I read a few Tolkien knockoffs before I actually got into Tolkien. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I got to him, I was like, okay, this, is, this has been done. But it hadn't been done, of course. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about this book, that we're going to see a lot of knockoffs in the future of this story and this style. But this is the original. We, already, we already have seen knockoffs of a sort. Uh, I don't want to be... I don't want to be that guy, but I do believe that the entire genre of urban fantasy owes a debt to American God. It came out in 2001, by the way, originally published in 2001. And I don't know where the other urban fantasy falls in on that, but certainly it didn't get popular until well after American Gods, at least not on the major scene, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think all urban fantasy that deals with uh, specifically stuff that deals with gods like Kevin Hearn's Iron Druid Chronicles, of course, the Dresden Files, anything that has to do with mythology and and gods and modernity at all. The Percy Jackson and the New Olympians, mm -hmm. all of it has a debt to pay to American gods in one way or another. Yeah, this is this. So, and of course, it's being made into, or it has been made into a, a miniseries for stars. And, yeah. Which ha it comes out tomorrow. So, we're recording this podcast on Saturday, April 29th. The first episode comes out tomorrow, Sunday, April 30th. So, this is a very timely podcast. Um, yeah. So, and one thing I want to say is that Neil Gaiman didn't actually want to write this book in the first place. So, I, I read this lovely foword in the beginning, <laughs> and he had a. Much like C.S. Lewis, you know, he had just these ideas, these thoughts, these not very well connected concepts. And he decided he was finally talked into putting them together. And of course, he's not originally from America either. He's from Britain. So I think this came very naturally to him to see mythology and how it's been. It, it didn't import well, right? This is not a good land for <laughs> gods, as your song says. No, yes. They yeah. become twisted versions of, of what they are. And so anyway, so I want to, first of all, I want to dive into the religious aspect because this sure. is something I grew up with. My dad's a Baptist preacher and he's all hellfire and brimstone. 
I don't expect my fantasy to books, the stuff that I, the science fiction that I read, it, it's not religious in nature, and I don't expect it to be. So to sure. find a book that deals with a deeply spiritual topic that also rings true, even though I can tell that the author isn't religious himself, is it's impossible. It, it's it's I was totally blown away, and the moment that I realized that this book had a deeper truth than necessarily being nonfiction was the introduction of Bilquis. So, oh yeah. I have a song I haven't written about her yet, but I've been (laughs) writing. It's been in my head. It's gestating still. And yes. Oh, absolutely. Bilquis. Yeah. This this opening scene is for her is raw and it's real. And she, she, of course, is um, pretending to be a prostitute, but what she really needs is adoration. She needs to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. And growing up with a Baptist preacher, he used to harp on the God-shaped hole a lot, which is it, it's a philosophical idea that within each person there's this this hole that can only be filled by worshiping something. And for some people, that's the God of Christianity. For some, that's Allah. For some, that is a pantheon of gods. And in this case, my dad used to talk very frequently about how people worship their cars, how they Mm -hmm. worship the sun, you know, if they're at the beach all the time. He would talk about how they, you know, worship money, they worship their jobs. And in America, we do. We absolutely do. We've, I don't know that as a whole, we're a particularly religious nation anymore, if we ever were. But we definitely worship something. And this book also jumps into a lot of that. What what are we actually worshiping? And does yeah. that make that item a god? And, of course, Neil Gaiman's answer is that it absolutely does. So, Mikey, since <laughs> I mean, this is powerful enough to give you an entire album's worth of material, how do you feel about the religious aspect of this book? Does it ring true for you as well? I think that he touches on the an absolutely profound tenet, which is that – and it's actually very existential in that meaning is imparted by uh, the person who perceives the meaning. And, and he kind of applies that to the concept of godhood. Does a god still exist if no one believes in them anymore or if nobody ever believed in them? And as you said, do things that were not intended to be gods become gods through adoration or adulation if they fill that, which is a wonderful metaphor, that God-shaped hole? And I think it's – yeah, I think he absolutely nails it. Um, We all seek a deeper meaning in some way, shape, or form somehow, either spiritually, intellectually, whatever – Usually we're all, and I say usually because somebody's going to go, no, not me. I just want things just the way they <laughs> is because, you know, somebody's got to be that person. But we, most of us seek a deeper meaning in some way, shape or form. And where we find that is where we invest our time, you know, and we might find it through being a fan of a band or an artist, or we might find it through television in the book represented by the technical boy or the internet or television is media in, in played by Jillian Anderson in the series. I'm so excited. for that I am idea. so excited for this because Neil Gaiman was so hands on with the development of it and it was in development hell for so long. <laughs> so what's interesting, uh, I'll get to that later, but yes, absolutely. Fundamentally. And, and he hits personally, I'm an atheist. Uh, that aside, 
what what nails me is when people of completely different religious perspectives. I know Christians who love this book for the same reason that it talks about faith and why. I know a Muslim who loves this book because it talks about faith and why we believe and how we believe and how that affects our lives. And and this just it personifies the gods. Um in a very human way. Like, uh, and as you said, they're, they don't transfer well. They're like, Odin is still in Norway. Odin is still in Germany. But the Odin that came over here is a Xerox copy brought by the memories. And everybody knows as you make a Xerox copy, it changes. Mm-hmm. And technically the image degrades, but uh, from an artistic standpoint, it just changes. It just differs. It's not as distinct. But in art, you know, you can have an impressionist image that is more meaningful than an exact photographic image. So when I say the image degrades, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that the meaning changes. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to be a god and the meaning changes when you're a god, how does that affect the world? How does that affect the landscape? And so – and even in this – and wow, this has been out since 2001. It's about to start on uh, stars. It's got the however many editions. So the Odin you see at the end when he's in, I believe he's in Iceland, when Shadow's in Iceland, yes, is so different than Wednesday. And I'll tell you what, when I first read this book, the first, as soon as I, as soon as he introduced himself as Wednesday, I said to myself, that's Odin. Yes, and I, did, I did the same. I, and I, I actually burst out laughing. I just sat yeah. and said, oh, I'm going to love this book. Yeah, because I mean, and, and I know that there are people who don't know about the origins of the names of days, and I know there are people who don't know about Norse mythology or whatever. But it was my favorite mythology as a kid, and uh, you know, I loved learning about the names of the days, and and mostly they're Norse mythology based. But <laughs> so when he said, "I'm Wednesday," or, call me Wednesday. Uh, after all, it is my day. I'm like Odin, dude, done, nailed it. Okay, but <laughs> and uh, interestingly enough, I see it. I, I've never seen anyone who looked even remotely like Ian McShane as Odin, although I'm pretty jazzed about his performance. (laughs) So I had a totally different guy in mind. Hold on. Let me find the uh, reference here. Who did you see, by the way, as Odin in your head in the book? Did you have an image, an actor? I had an image. I didn't have an actor. I I saw there there are so many descriptions of wednesday in this book and and of course he changes over time yes there's one specifically um and i'm i'm afraid i i can't give you a page number and it wouldn't really matter because as you say there's so many editions that you wouldn't be able to find it anyway right there's a description in which he's he's in the car and he's telling shadow why he has deposited him in this tiny little town and he says he's sitting in the in the passenger seat of the car as shadow's driving him around which is also kind of a fun... Oh, here it is. He says something, when things get hairy, we'll need all hands to the wheel, he says to Shadow. He looked very old as he said this, and fragile, and his skin seemed almost transparent, and the flesh beneath was gray. Mm. And this kind of goes to a point that I'll make later, but there's there are different descriptions. When, he's, when he first meets Shadow, he looks nothing like this. He's sitting on a plane... He's in, I I picture him in sort of a linen-colored suit, legs crossed, a skinny guy, but with such a big personality that you don't recognize how slight he actually is. And no beard, clean-shaven, a pristine hat, and that's mostly how I see him throughout this. Unfortunately, I can't give you a very good description because I don't have a person in in my head. I just, I have this other image of, of just this guy. I definitely didn't expect Ian McShane, but after seeing the trailer... 
I'm on board. So oh yeah, yeah. I, I think he'll pull he'll pull off the role. I think he's a little bigger than I had pictured Wednesday, but sure. especially I think also I picture him as so small because he at least pretends that he needs Shadow to kind of take care of him. Yeah. And so I think well, if you if you need a big guy to beat people up, then you you must be a small guy. So I always saw I always saw Richard Attenborough from Jurassic Park. <laughs> you said. You said no beard, but so as soon as I said that it's Odin, there was never a moment where there wasn't a beard. It was always a beard because it's Odin. He's got a beard as far as I was concerned. And then there's this point where they're describing uh, his smile and when – and they dis- they liken it to chimpanzees. When chimpanzees smile, it's a sign of aggression and yes. – there are times when Richard Attenborough smiles that it is so aggressive. <laughs> and 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 then, as you said, when you know, he seems old and you see the gray through his skin, but also Attenborough has this personality that can push through and make him seem larger than life. And then there are times where when he knows the charm that gets him in, in bed with the, uh, the waitress. <laughs> Who's like 35 or 40 years younger than he is, if not even more. Yeah, and so seeing that juxtaposition of Attenborough and this little mousy-faced girl really got me. I mean, that's, that's yeah. But that was I, just me. I can absolutely see that. So speaking of worship, uh-huh. all of these gods seem to want to be worshipped in slightly different ways. Of course, the core of it is that you give them your allegiance, and worship, in its truest sense, is all-encompassing. Um, much yes. as Bilquis swallows, for lack of a better word, her That's a word. <laughs> her devotees. That's really what any form of worship is, and and the God of Christianity demands that as well, right? So he he's described as a jealous God. He wants everything that you have, which for his devotees, that's fine. What about something like? And I'm going to lose his name. Hink- Hinkelman. Oh, Heinzelman. Heinzelman. That's what it is. Heinzelman. He's not really worshipped, is he? And uh, he is, but he's not. He's he's the kobold from uh, Germanic and I believe Slovakian mythology, and he is referred to as the kobold. And uh, which is funny because I've got a song called "Kobold Say My Baby," and he ate the and town's he does. babies. He does. <laughs> but I have your, a whole I mean, song about <laughs> about him and and uh, the sheriff of the town. I've got a song called "Keeper of the Peace." It's all about the dynamic between them, and you know, this town is mine. And both of them see themselves as the protectors of the town. It's just one of them, it's his obligation, and the other, it's you know, he protects it so that he can keep staying fed. This is the price they pay for this mm-hmm. to stay this quiet little town. And I believe that maybe he's, in the grand scheme of things, a demigod or – I mean I, the, we can quibble on the terminology, but the reality is that uh, they believe that he's a kindly old guy, this uh, weird impish old man, and uh, he's always been there. And uh, as long as he's there, everything gets to stay the same. And we we have we have bastions of normality in our lives that as long as this is there – Everything's okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That things aren't changing too much. And and we notice, you know, think when, when our parents die, when our grandparents die, our world shifts just a little bit. When friends die, our world shifts look just a little bit. So as long as Heinzelman's there, everything's normal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And but to keep Heinzelman there, they just have to ignore the fact that all these winter runaways are disappearing every yeah. year. 
and then there's the, I mean, the the religious metaphor just plays throughout. I mean, you have the uh, the rite of baptism, right? And then, then there's also the ritual killing of drowning in ancient Celtic traditions. And then there's the the winter runaways are actually buried in the lake in trunks under the lake. Spoilers, sorry. Uh, you need a big spoiler alert at the beginning of this episode. Oh, definitely. Yeah, this is definitely <laughs> a big spoiler cast. But there's that whole the symbology of the uh and the whole symbology of consumption bilquist consumes her worshiper um these kids quote run away but they are consumed by the lake in a car that everybody adores in their own way because they've made a ritual out of it they buy tickets somebody's gonna win big when the lake unfree when the lake thaws and the car is consumed by the lake this idea of consumption even even um Oh, what is the substance that that and I'm drawing a blank on it that they drink the wine that they drink I I can't remember uh, off the top of my oh, head mead. at the beginning when he pledges there's himself. a special thing he drinks but yes the mead is is a different one uh and I'll that find also it speaks to your your rituals which are, yeah. are also a form of religion right it, it he had to drink three cups of mead he right. had to pledge himself with those with, with them um, even though he doesn't like it, he sort of goes along for the ride. And these are all <laughs> these are all the things that sort of lead up to that twist that somehow behind everything else, Shadow continues forward when all of these red flags pop up over and over and over, almost as though he knows this story already. And he kind of he talks about that. that Absolutely. He feels as though he knows what's coming next. And this is the idea of impending doom, which is the, the color of this book, if you will. Impending oh, doom yeah. colors absolutely everything. And I was actually flipping through this book, taking notes this morning and listening to your album. And the first song on it is Storm Coming. Yeah. And it so captures the feel of this book, the rumbling the long intro and and you're sort of sitting on the edge of your seat listening to this and you're waiting for the first lyrics and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you keep the you keep the listener waiting for a while and that's exactly what Neil Gaiman does in his book right I'm sitting yeah. here and then of course you've got the character of Laura who I spent most of the book sitting and this is Shadow's former wife I can't say ex-wife they were never divorced his widow um, technically yeah. she's his widow oh, sorry he's uh, sorry her he's her widower, widower. Yes. But she's a big character in in the book. But all of this is is happening. So he's he's finding out what has happened to his wife. He's finding out why it happened to his wife, which yep. if you didn't see that one coming, I'm I'm sorry. You've never been in a relationship. I'm I'm naive. I look, you I that? it hurt. That hurt me. I I mean, I I guess the cynic in me was expecting it, but the other side was wow exactly how harsh it was the way he found out oh, and yes. then <laughs> and then uh, the discussion they have afterwards <laughs> when she's telling him about it she's dead so she's entirely dispassionate about the whole thing like, yeah, yeah and he's going um no uh, yeah <laughs> this, this feeling of, of of building doom he probably kept me on the edge of my seat wondering what was going to happen until the last maybe two or three chapters when I finally realized what we were actually building toward. Yeah. And that it wasn't anything like it appeared. I mean, I knew that it wasn't what it appeared. I'm savvy enough of a reader to know that there is a twist coming. Sure. But I don't, I had no idea what it would be. 
And that's another theme of the book is that things are not what they seem. But it's the same story that's been retelling itself for thousands over and over. of years. Yeah. But as it's retelling, it's not what it seems. But it then is. it is. But then it's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, what I was the drink I was talking about was soma was distilled belief soma. Oh yes. It's a psychosomatic. It relates to the body and the mind, specifically the distinction between the body and the mind, which is another <laughs> hit back at worship, isn't it? I mean, body, mind, worship. Anyway, mm -hmm. spirituality. But yeah, no, no, you're you're absolutely right. Is that and and by the way, thank you. I'm glad you like the song. I think that one of the things that kind of gets passed over one of the things because I read this book about once a year. So uh, since since I first read it, which was 2005-ish, um, I read it about once a year. My friend Sean lent me a copy, and now it's one of those books that I keep two copies of. And one is so I can lend it to somebody else because I don't be expect to get it back. Get back. <laughs> right. I don't expect to get it back. Uh, and this is a beefy book, so it may take them a while to read it or whatever, but when I loan it out, uh, I go buy another beat up copy to have as a loner. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other one's Good Omens, which is another Neil Gaiman book with Terry Pratchett. But one of the things I think that I got from rereading is that – and you're right. It's, it's about doom. It's about impending doom. But the reality is that it's not doom. It's about change and transition. It's and, Ragnarok, right? Yeah, but change – Ragnarok for the gods is Almost Thursday – yeah, Thursday for everybody yeah. else, you know, yeah. on Thursday, this happened and life went on. And this is about well, a life opposite. cycle. Yeah. These are about people who are supposed to be immortal yeah. in our thoughts and memories, experiencing the end or potentially the beginning or, or whatever, or, or the change of a life cycle. And so everything is a permutation. It's, it, you know, Odin will never be the Odin of old and maybe the new Odin will never, uh, Odin will never be the Odin that we read about in the book. <laughs> and so on and so forth. But we all see things with this intense uh, immediacy that this is going to come to a head, whatever the event is in our life, this is going to come to a head and things are going to be different. And often we see that as disastrous. And sometimes it, it really truly is. But the reality is that as long as we're alive, we continue and things have just changed. And when it comes to the gods, he just when – when you find out about the grand swindle at the end, that – oh, that just really kicks you in the nards um, as a reader. Because uh, you really wanted to like Wednesday, right? And yeah, I still kind of do. Yeah. I, mean, I really do. I'm like, would I to... do something different? Would I do something different if I was a god and I had to mean something again and I wanted to mean something again? And you were fighting for your own existence as well. And yeah. it's funny that you you are absolutely absolutely correct in that the cataclysm of the gods in this book is Thursday for all of the humans, which is 100% the opposite of how we see mythological gods of old. They were the ones standing on top of Mount Olympus. They were in Valhalla, and they just looked at the world dying and reforming over and over, you know, the idea of the wolf that eats the world so the world will be reborn, and then they mm -hmm. are kind of above it all, and this is the opposite, because mm -hmm. in America, we don't treat our gods well. <laughs> we well, it's, it's the other, I mean, you got to think about it, it's like rock stars, we revere rock stars or music stars or, or actors, mm -hmm. but this, as soon as everybody just pays them no attention, they have lost all 
cachet, right? They've all lost all their power. And so now they got to work at Burger King if they didn't put money back, if they didn't prepare for their own mm-hmm. future, you know? Yep. And uh, these were rock stars who didn't put any money back. And now they're working at Burger King <laughs> to do what they have to do to, to survive. And And I think even in the old world, it might've been easier because there wasn't something else to worship and they could uh, be more powerful and they could be more interactive and it would seem more impressive. But in this new world of America where all of a sudden you have uh, the gods of transportation, they they briefly mentioned the gods of trains and locomotion who f- quickly rose and then just as quickly fell. Mm-hmm. And then media who is really powerful, but pretty new on the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So uh, who probably started off as radio. <laughs> Maybe she started off as telegraph. Who knows? <laughs> So it's just this wonderful take on the whole thing. The whole thing just makes me think. Every time I read it, I think. Every time I read it, I get something new and something different. And I guess you could do this with many books. This is just one that has so much content and – and I love the way it personalizes it. It gives it gives you a concrete way of of looking at what we believe and why we believe it and how we can make our world more meaningful in different ways, I guess. And that brings me to an interesting question then for you. What about those gods that we wouldn't consider gods? I think it's very easy to see media as a god. It's very easy to see big data as a god. It's very easy to see money as a god in America. The Mm -hmm. Sun, Harley Davidson, Walt Disney, (laughs) you name it, right? Sure, yeah. But what about conspiracy theories, which are at the same level in this book as all the other new gods? Maybe they're the Heinzelman. Maybe they're the Kobolds. They're the American Kobold. They're the American kobold. As long as we feed it our babies, the conspiracy theory will, you know, continue on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> I mean, that was kind of a crazy side note that really didn't. It went nowhere particularly, except to just highlight the oddity of yeah. of what gets worshipped here. I don't know that you really see that. Of course, I don't know what conspiracy theories other countries have, but I don't know that you necessarily see this sort of the spooks in black sneaking around and swiping oh, yeah. people and beating them up for no real reason that any of us can quite fathom. Mr. Tree and Mr. Stone. <laughs> Mr. And World. It, Mr. It's World. totally bonkers, but it, I started <laughs> laughing as soon as they were introduced. I went, oh, yes. I mean, because everyone knows someone. Because the tropes are there. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. And there are subreddits devoted. I mean, the, the, the cult of conspiracy theories, and I, I don't, I don't, hesitate to call it a cult because once you're in, you're kind of all in, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> uh, once you've started accepting, look, I believe that there are probably been some, I believe that there have definitely been some conspiracies. I don't believe that 90% of the things that people think are conspiracies are conspiracies. <laughs> so, not real ones. No, not No, no. <laughs> so no, no, not at all. So, oh, wow. I just I'm sorry. I just glanced at the cast and I just realized. All right. So Robbie Shadow's best friend from the Muscle Farm. Yes. You know who's playing him? Who? Dane Cook. Oh, my gosh. That's so perfect. <laughs> I just that saw it. Beautifully cast. The one that I'm really interested in is Loki. Loki Lysmith. L-O-W-K-E-Y. Who is that? I'm actually pulling that up as we speak. 
I saw so, that. All right, so Loki Lysmith and Mr. World are played by two different people. Crispin Glover is playing Mr. World, and I can't remember who Loki Lysmith is played by. I'm not seeing it. They, maybe they left him out. That would be awful. No, they couldn't possibly. He's a little too central I'm, to the to the final. I'm worshiping the altar of Mr. Google right now, so we'll oh, find there out. He is Jonathan Tucker. Yeah, and he's only in one episode this this season. Well, I guess that's for the best. He doesn't really take his center stage position until the last act of this book. So the next thing I want to talk about is the world between the worlds. So there's actually two of them. As, as near as I can tell, there is the land in which the, the land under the land, which is where the Buffalo Man resides, the man who is yes. something of a guide and a mentor to Shadow. He doesn't appear very frequently, but when he does, it's always with a warning and with a word of help. Mm -hmm. And then there's this sort of world, the backstage world that's behind the scenes that Mr. Wednesday takes Shadow into in order to rescue him when he's become a little too visible. I think they may be and, the same thing. That's I think that they are the same thing. And I think that the the land under the land is the uh Native Americans version of backstage, which mm -hmm. of course Odin's going to call it backstage. Wednesday's going to say, "No, we're just going backstage for a minute." Which is the same realm where when they get on the carousel, the large, yes. world's largest carousel, that's where they go as they go backstage and then they end up backstage at Rock City at the climax. Technically. Yeah, I think they're the same thing. And I, I like the metaphor because it, it is the man behind the curtain metaphor introduced by Wizard of Oz, of course. You know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. There's what we see and then there's what is, mm -hmm. uh, which is like saying, well, all right. So Plato's cave is a philosophical metaphor. Uh, or Plato said that we never actually see a chicken. What we see is the shadow of a chicken on the wall, which is emulating the essence of a chicken. But being the chicken is something we'll never see. We just see the light of truth shining on the chicken and we see the shadow of the chicken on the cave wall. And so uh, in that metaphor, our world is the cave wall where all these shadows walk. Wow, I just started getting the metaphor with shadow and we shouldn't talk about this anymore. My head's going to explode. Um <laughs> So there are these shadows on the cave wall uh, that is our world and the backstage areas where you get to see the chicken, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I think that it's 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 brilliant. And then we all have the the levels that we all have the what people see of our lives and then what are the our people who are really close to us see in our lives and then what they never see that's in us because we have those levels of backstage in ourselves. So I, I find it absolutely fascinating. And the metaphor is just killer. Just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not normally at a loss for words. And when I talk about this book, sometimes I get at a lot for as much as I have to say about it, I get at a loss for words. I like the concept of the backstage world. We all want that concept where, a magic place where we get to see the reality of things and we can escape. But, but we just get the cave wall. That's all we get. I also think, and this is a, this is a spin on a, a trope that exists in fantasy. It's not so much in modern fantasy. You see it much more in the old guys. And the, the one that really this made me think of is the world, the wood between the worlds in CS Lewis's the magician's nephew. Okay. So in this book, there are two little kids and they discover magic rings. If you put one color, they're yellow and green. If you put one color on, it will allow you to leap into this sort of middle ground. Nothing really happens there. 
there are trees and there are pools. And if you put the other color ring on and you dive into a pool, you dive in, it's a gateway into another world, another whole dimension, another whole universe. Mm-hmm. And there are thousands and thousands of them, so many that they never find the edge of it. But there's this, it's this in-between place. Now, a lot more goes on in Neil Gaiman's in-between place than yeah. happens in Diggory and Polly's Wood Between the Worlds. But at the same time, I see this as a spin on something. And this is, this is where I really think that Gaiman becomes, or at least reveals, what a brilliant author he is. Because you can take, you, I'm sure you have read so many tired, boring rewrites of this of a few authors brilliant works right and here he's taking a trope and putting his own unique spin on it this idea that we can come to a middle place and then from there we can go anywhere and i get that feeling with now shadow of course doesn't explore it all that much it's clear that wednesday knows his way around a little too well but to be able perhaps to mix it with your cave metaphor to be able to step back behind and take a really good look at what's been throwing shadows all over the place and perhaps obscuring what's what truly is. Maybe yeah. Gaiman is inviting us to take a look and see if we can't see a, a, a straighter path to our, our yeah. end goals. Absolutely. No, I can see that. And there are other fiction that there there's other fiction that does like in the Dresden Files, it's the the realm of the Fae, which is a particularly dangerous place but also has those connections between the world and, and other things. And, uh, and it creates indirectly direct paths. You know, you step backstage or step over into the realm, realm of the Fae, and then you can move somewhere else. There, it, is, it is a fairly common trope. And I do agree that one of the brilliant things about American Gods is his tendency to take disparate tropes, dif- uh, disparate sources, and stitch them all together into something unique. And cohesive, um, oddly enough. And it's like a quilt. Yes. It's a it's a quilt with patches that if you look at any individual patch, you don't see a pattern, but when you but they're worth looking at. And then as you hold the quilt back far away, it's like one of those hidden eye pictures or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh wow, that's a picture of blank, whatever. Yes. I never saw Ronald Reagan before, but wow. <laughs> I don't yeah, that's I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a puppy. That, uh, sorry. <laughs> Tolkien talks about in that essay that so many have read called On Fairy Stories. Mm-hmm. He talks about the road through fairy. So there's a poem that he, he has in the first couple of pages that basically says there's a road to heaven um, that's narrow and, and hard to walk on. And then there's the road to hell, which everybody knows is wide and paved with good intentions. And then there's this other third road, which takes you into Elfland. And that's a scary road, but if you can navigate it properly, then you can make something of it. The The paragraph that is most of interest is, The realm of fairy story is wide and deep and high and filled with many things. All manner of beasts and birds are found there, shoreless seas and stars uncounted, beauty that is an enchantment and an ever-present peril, both joy and sorrow as sharp as swords. In that realm, a man may, perhaps, count himself fortunate to have wandered, but its very richness and strangeness tie the tongue of a traveler who would report them. And while he is there, it is dangerous for him to ask too many questions, lest the gates should be shut and the keys be lost. And I Mm -hmm. think that Shadow enters this realm during this book, and the reader enters it as soon as they turn the first page. Oh, no, absolutely. And I, I, all right, so at the very, the, the original, let me pop up my notes here. I have notes. I intended to actually do a podcast on my relationship with American gods long ago as part of the Beer Powered Time Machine podcast, and I didn't. But his, his foreword for the original uh, edition 
was this is a work of fiction, not a guidebook. While the geography of the United States of America in this tale is not entirely imaginary, many of the landmarks in this book can be visited, paths can be followed, ways can be mapped. I have taken liberties, fewer liberties that you might imagine, but liberties nonetheless. Permission has neither been asked for nor given for the use of real places in this story when they uh, when they appear. I expect that the owners of Rock City or the House on the Rock and the hunters who own the motel in the center of America are as perplexed as anyone would be to find their properties in here. <laughs> I've obs- yeah. I have obscured the location of several places in this book, the town of Lakeside, for example, and the farm with the ash tree an hour south of Blacksburg. You may look for them if you wish. You might even find them. Furthermore, it goes without saying that all of the people living dead and otherwise in this story are fictional or used in a fictional context. Only the gods are real. When you're when you're talking about in in Tolkien's The Road to Fairy, when he when he says that you and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me that you can't ask too many questions or the gates might be closed. This is one of those instances where he's like, no, ask the questions. This this is the place where you get to ask the questions. There's nothing but questions. They're all allowed. And I have visited several of those places, many of them. I even have my own quest for the Ash Tree Farm, which I thought I found once, but I didn't. And it's about an hour south of Blacksburg. And, and I have sources which back up why I think it, and I'm not going to go into it here. I don't think it was the Ash Tree Farm. But I have a, I put a picture on my Instagram that said, if I'm right, this is the tree from Ash Tree Farm, but it's not. I really don't think it is. If it is, it's singularly unimpressive. <laughs> but uh, but I've gone to Rock City in the House on the Rock. I left a copy of American Gods on the bookshelf in House on the Rock. Nice. I've, I've driven through the geographical center of the United States. I didn't stop and take a picture because I was driving back from the West coast and I was so tired and it was the middle of the night and I was trying to get to a hotel and it would have, you know, it would have added time and I was exhausted. But one of these days I'll go back and I need to, well, I should have done it sooner because now it's going to be flooded. Don't you think? I don't know. It's kind of hard to get to unless you Uh, live nearby. Well, yeah, it's in the Northern edge of Kansas, the Northern edge of Kansas. There are too many reasons to go through Kansas, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> it's very flat mind. and it's very wide, and there's not a whole lot to see. I have relatives in Kansas. I can't say too much. I'm I'm there a few times a year, and I enjoy my time there. <laughs> but they have plenty of breweries too. Well, the I I think most people are either I I I would see more people flooding south of Black. Don't tell anyone how beautiful it is south of Blacksburg. Okay, we're trying to keep that to ourselves. That's uh... I'd love to have property down there. Don't but tell then, anybody how cheap the gas is south of Blacksburg. <laughs> I actually, I almost got in my very first car accident. I've had car accidents since then, but my, the very first one I almost got into, I was driving just south. And you know how the road goes up and then it goes straight down and straight up and straight down on all those hills down there? Yep. So <laughs> there was a truck in front of me and I was also very young. I think I was like 18 or 19. So I hadn't had my driver's license for very long. So I didn't know some of the more common sense things about driving. Mm-hmm. And this truck in front of me had his blinker on for about two and a half miles. And I'm like, why is that? He must've bumped it. It's my thought in my head as I'm driving. So I'm driving, 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 and we're going really fast because it's about 60. I think the, the speed limit is like 60, 65 miles an hour down there. And might be more than that. Even it's been a long time since I've been down, been down there. And all of a sudden, he puts his brakes on to turn into a driveway. And he put his blinker on that far to let me know to back off. And his driveway was halfway down one of those super steep hills. And I went, he slammed on the brakes. 
yanked the wheel to the left and looked over and there was a car right behind if they had if the car behind me had been going just a mile and a half faster per hour it would have been really really bad and i think i think i tasted blood for about an hour after that wow it's beautiful but just just be cautious if you're looking for ash tree farm down there yeah well yeah better yet don't go looking for ash tree farm don't go looking Uh, so speaking of ash tree farm uh there's one god that doesn't really well a couple of gods that don't show up in this book thor has committed suicide back in the 20s or 30s i believe he doesn't make an appearance who thor thor yes thor thor is gone odin's son Um, i was thinking more like the actual gods the gods that people's currently see in their religions there's some references jesus gets a mention and uh, yep. and I believe in the the latest edition of it, the author's preferred edition. I believe there's a scene which actually involves Jesus, and I haven't read that sadly, and I need to. But I believe in the author's preferred text, he put the scene with Jesus back in. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to check that out um, because I th- I thought it was interesting that he's notably absent, although the main character is hung on a tree and stabbed in the side with a spear. Uh, which is yeah. Uh, well, and it's uh, also that that was, you know, a way of sacrificing people. That was the way Odin was sacrificed. Yes. Well, um, yes. So and that's the idea is that this is the same story repeating. And of course, in the end, there is a very specific reason that he is that shadow is sacrificed in that way. Yeah. Um, but and you know what else you talk we, we, uh, before I'm, I hate to interrupt you, uh, but I'm going to. We were talking about the the backstage in the world between worlds, and you were talking about in uh, in C.S. Lewis uh, the degree in uh, I'm blanking on her names, Polly. Polly's the the middle world. But that is also because we're here at the ash tree, Yggdrasil or Yggdrasil, the world tree, mm-hmm. uh, is kind of that world between worlds. Climbing up and down the tree is that world between mm-hmm. worlds, you know. And Ratatosk, the squirrel on the world tree. Anyway, I just thought it was an interesting comment, but I'm sorry. I hate to interrupt. Um, it's it's just interesting that they're using the story of Odin, but it's also a very messianic scene or, or sure. series of scenes. He's sacrificing himself essentially for the world, right? So mm-hmm. in that way, I think it's I think it's interesting. I want I'm curious to see how he will fit the actual Jesus Christ into a book that has one already. Um, well, Jesus is appearing in the series. He's oh. already been cast. He's there. Um, Jeremy Davies plays Jesus. Huh. Does he look Jewish? Uh, you know what? We, are we talking the um, Italian? Nope, we're looking at the Italian style Jesus. Okay. We're, we're looking between the Italian and Middle Eastern Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, depending on how his hair is, somewhere styled, between. could probably go either way. But that's the thing is that that would totally fit, depending on, like, if it was the uh, Deep South where they're talking about Jesus, Jesus no, because... would look like the Italian style Jesus because yes. he's Cause a white that's dude. Who they worship, <laughs> right. Um, not necessarily the Hebrew guy with the sandals and the super long beard. Right. Um, who would be put on a watch list and not allowed to fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were been randomly selected to be searched by the TSA. Oh, yeah, randomly. Very randomly. Very, <laughs> it's all right. I'll randomly. forgive you. It's what I do. Sorry. So, <laughs> Laura exists for a reason. So there's one thing that I actually have to admit that I didn't fully understand, and that is the gold coin. What is the reference here? Is this all right? So that's a uh, all right. So I didn't get a specific reference, but it's it's Irish uh, mythology. So it's a coal. Uh, it's a coin from the Leprechaun's Hoard. Mm-hmm. All right, which is uh, K 
kings should have that, not not people or whatever. This, this is a the gold of kings, a coin of kings, and so. But it granted uh, when he get that when he got that coin, it gave him protections that he would not other ha- otherwise have. And when he gave the coin away, those protections passed to Laura, which mm-hmm. is why she uh, can't die. That's yeah. why she came back. Um, and then when Voria is it Voria Utrenyaya mm-hmm. gave him. Gave him no, it was a silver coin. Vernishnaya gave him the silver coin, the Lady Liberty dollar. That was a minor protection, but also literally, I mean, representative of the sun and moon. If you look at it, it's a gold coin and then the sun, and it's a silver coin, and he make he does the she does the prestidigitation and makes it the moon, or he does because he's practiced the prestidigitation. And so he reached into the leprechaun horde, uh, horde and, uh, you know, Mad Sweeney had showed him the trick while he was drunk, uh, blind drunk on yes. mead um, of how to get the, the gold coin. But he forgot it. And then uh, Zoria, it's Zoria, not Voria, uh, but Zoria Vernishnaya, I think is what it is, who showed him how to get or who gave him the silver coin, which was mm-hmm. the moon. And that's just it's just one of those things that these are. Tokens of the gods' favor, or tokens of supernatural favor and protection. Uh, you know, there are things that they're they're not allowed to violate. Like if they make a pact, they're supposed to keep with the pact. When he makes the deal with Jernabog, when he when he uh, makes the mm-hmm. deal with Jernabog, <clears throat> excuse me, over the game of checkers, he's supposed to honor the pact. Jernabog's supposed to be allowed to, you know, hit him in the head with a hammer, and you know. <laughs> he seems very excited about that. Well, because that's he gets that's how he gets his power. That's the worship. That's the sacrifice he needs. That's yeah. the soma he needs. So, by the way, the casting of Jernabog, I I can't remember. I did, I've seen it. Peter Stormare. Oh my lord, perfect, so perfect. Peter Stormare, you might know from Coen Brothers movies. Um, he was one of the nihilists in The Big Lebowski. He's appeared in Fargo. He's, but as Jernabog, man, wow, just the the few images I've seen. Uh, He's just that's going to match really, really, really well. Yes, is well, not what I pictured at all, but perfect. Big blue eyes, very Nordic nose. Yeah, as long as they, I always got the feeling that Jernabog was a little stooped and his hair was pretty stringy. So I, I hope that they they make him kind of depressed and elderly. And he should be. He well. should be, as he gets. And then of course Phil Lamar. Was it Phil Lamar who's playing? Oh, no, it's uh, Orlando Jones is playing Mister Nancy. A Nancy, the uh, trickster god, the spider. <laughs> Which is, um, he, he was a beautiful character. And yes. I, lo- I love Anansi stories. I actually purchased, well, when I was a kid, I used to read the Anansi stories all the time. And oh, there's really? one particular one called Anansi and the Strange Moss-Covered Rock. And it's this wonderful, and it's a child's book. And I sent that recently along with Neil Gaiman's, oddly enough, books on Chu, who is a panda that sneezes a lot, uh, to my nephew, who is four years old. Awesome. And I got a thank you note from in his mother's handwriting, obviously, that yeah. said, oh, we love this book. It is now our favorite book, and we read it every night before we go to sleep. So Anansi <laughs> continues to be worshipped in the United States. Well, there is... <laughs> There is a sequel to American Gods, uh, and I know you said you didn't want a sequel, but there is, and it's a Nancy Boys, and it focuses on him and his sons. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> I and wish there's got to be many. He's a spider, after all. It's in the world, but it's not. It's you. It's totally independent. You don't have to have read American Gods, but if you have, it gets special. 
Okay. <laughs> but not 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 but it is. It's special because uh he's just one of those standout star characters of the book even though he's by no means the main character. No, he's got a very minor role as as it happens, but he's probably the friendliest of the gods. Oh yeah. To Shadow, I mean everybody else seems to have their own ulterior motive and most of them seem to want to manipulate him in some way, whether because they want to get back at Wednesday or they have their own secret motives or like Heinzelman just sort of knows that he's doing a favor for Wednesday but kind of resents that it's drawing attention to his little world. And Nancy doesn't, Mr. Nancy doesn't really do any of that. He just says, no. hey, you know, we're, you're coming along. Especially, I think the, the kindest he was was when he was, they were walking through the house on the rock and going to the carousel. And mm -hmm. he was very helpful in directing both Shadow and the reader, thank you, what was happening and why it was happening and what was going on. And that it was totally okay that they got on the, the carousel. Yeah. Which was fun. I want to take yeah. a ride on that carousel for real. You can't. That sounds amazing. They don't let anybody on it. They That's only let people on it once. They did a retreat at the House on the Rock, which was in October a few years ago, five years ago. And uh, my friend Sean, who introduced me to the book, he went to it with his girlfriend. And they drew a lottery and a certain number of people got to ride on the carousel with Neil Gaiman. And uh, so – Had Neil ridden it before? No. I feel like no. No, he hadn't. That's and incredible. People don't get to ride on the carousel. It's they, nobody rides on the carousel, and they got a special dispensation for that one time for people to ride on the carousel. And so I don't know how many people rode on the carousel, but it was by a, a lottery or a drawing or whatever. And uh, somebody, so there were people who got to ride on the carousel with Neil Gaiman, which wow, crazy. That's awesome. So I have to kind of the last question here because. I really want to point out a little bit more about this new show. What are you most excited to see them reveal on the screen? Um, or alternatively, what are you afraid they won't do well? I have low expectations for a lot of shows. Every time something gets interpreted onto a big screen, even with the author's blessing or involvement, it's often quite different. Right now, my wife and I are watching Preacher, and if you've never read Preacher, we're watching. We just finished the first season because that's all there is mm -hmm. uh, that I know of. Uh, at least it's all that's on Hulu, and it is very different but true to the spirit of yes, the Yes, that was the impression I got as well. And and we both agreed that this is so different but so true to the spirit of the book that it was totally worth it. And I th I am certain that with Gaiman's investment in this series and his involvement in the series. That as long as it stays true to the spirit, everything I've seen – you know what, what What has bothered me about the series is some of the advertisements for it. So you'd see the uh, – the, especially the still frame advertisements where they put the neon gods over it or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, the American gods or whatever. Yes. And you'd see Wednesday or whatever. And it looks like – and from the pictures, it looks like they're advertising a sitcom. Yes. You know? Yeah. And it's not. These it's, two crazy characters are driving across the Midwest. Guess what they see next? Yeah. yeah. You see Christian all. Chenoweth as Easter. You see Ian McShane as Odin. And you put these two side by side together, and it looks like they're a husband and wife in a sitcom. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. And, you know, it just could not be farther from the truth. And But it looks – I mean the art is on point. 
everything's seeing the images of Jillian Anderson when she dressed up as Lucy and Marilyn Monroe. And I'm like, done. I'm in. I'm all in. <laughs> as long as it stays true to the spirit, I will be good because nothing, it can't, you can't ruin the book for me. You just can't ruin the book for me. Occasionally I, yeah. somebody's like, if Neil Gaiman turned out to be an awful person, the book would always hold a special place in my heart, but I might find it hard to read it if he turned out to do some horrific crime or something, mm -hmm. something I felt morally reprehensible. And, and, but the reality is that no TV show is going to make this book bad for me. And, and as much as I love Neil Gaiman and his vision of the show, and, and as much as I respect any director or producer's artistic vision and casting director, I will never read the book and not see Richard Attenborough. Never, 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 never. I just can't. And you know what? That's a challenge. Maybe they can make it to where I see somebody else. Like when I read, when I read the princess bride, I could only see the guys from the princess bride. I could only see Mandy Patinkin as Inigo Montoya. Yeah. You know, I could only see Carrie Elwes as Wesley or the dread pirate Roberts, but it's, 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 it's a challenge. Our media affects our lives. And this is another commentary on the book. The media affects our lives. It affects our perceptions. It mm -hmm. affects our beliefs. So when we see a TV show and then we go back or a movie and we read the book, you know, when I first started reading uh, Game of Thrones, I I didn't see what's his name is Ned, St Ned Stark. Mm -hmm. And now I can't see anybody else. Yeah. Well, he so Sean B. really well. I've seen I've had the opposite happen in that I read the first Hunger Games book before. I saw the movie. The, other, yeah. the others I read afterward. But it was unfortunate because as much as I love Jennifer Lawrence, I didn't like her portrayal of Katniss. Jennifer Lawrence has a very sweet, very modern look and a very soft face. And I pictured Katniss as this very hard, lean... I mean, she's faced starvation most of her life, right? So she would yeah. have high cheekbones and a strong chin just because she would have no flesh on her face. Yeah, And then to see... Jennifer Lawrence, who doesn't really look like she could win the Hunger Games. But now I can't I can't find my original vision of Katniss at all. Because uh -huh. again, I don't typically see real people in these roles. I typically sort of have this this vague picture of a person in the back, and it's very easily replaced by something that appears on screen. So I'm a little saddened because I know that my image of Shadow is going to go away. And that probably my image of Wednesday will go away too. My image of Shadow always looked like a uh, younger, buffer Neil Gaiman. <laughs> oh, <really>? always, yeah. <laughs> I originally thought he was black, and then well, after a I younger, read buffer, while... darker Neil Gaiman. Okay, but <laughs> yes. but then as I read, I'm like, no, maybe he's actually Latino or Hispanic, right? Or maybe a mix, and there might be yes. some Indian. I'm assuming there's some Indian in there. Otherwise, how would he be able to commune with the Buffalo Man? But that's fairly normal. You you often see Native American s sort of strains in various ethnicities. I mean, they've been here for a very long time, right? But yeah, so I, I don't have a very of super duper clear picture of Shadow. Um, I think the biggest thing was when he referenced. I think Neil Gaiman referenced his hair being long, and I yeah. thought, whoa, okay, I wasn't expecting that. I I was picturing him as um, having a shaved head, and so I had to sort of readjust. But yeah, so I, overall, I think this will be a good series. And it's also on stars, so they don't have to really adhere to a lot of the content issues that commercialized cable right. shows have to. So I think I think it'll be good. So here's something we haven't touched on the whole time. Okay. And this is extremely spoilery. So although, anyway. At this point. So you got that Shadow is Wednesday's son. Yes. Okay. 
Which god is Shadow? I just assumed that he was the new Thor since Thor killed himself. But he's not. I mean, he's not the thunder god. Well, he's, he's not, not Loki. this raging. He's not Loki. A lot of people think he's Balder, but uh, I don't know. I don't or know for he, sure. He could also be Wednesday Reborn. That was the other thought I I had that he was Ooh. he was. They needed a better Wednesday. They needed a better Odin, and so the old Odin proved himself unworthy. So it was passing to Shadow. That was the other possibility in my head. Yeah. But again, I've only read this once. Um, although it is something that I will be revisiting. So, yeah, it, it, it's... How Shadow, you know, uh, Shadow's so death relate. preceded Ragnarok, his sacrifice on the tree. Baldur's death at Loki's hands with the mistletoe preceded Ragnarok was one yes. of the deciding... Anyway, I'm also excited for Neil... G I haven't read it yet, but Neil Gaiman's uh, Norse mythology book. Um, so if you're a fan of American gods, he this year came out and published a book of Norse mythology told in his own in inimitable style. So I am so looking forward to that. This book whet my appetite for that. I've been waiting for it for so long. That's awesome. Yeah, so. I do. I do love Norse mythology. It's a it's it's really inf I mean, going right back to the days of the week, it's influenced so much about our culture, even the way we look at our own religions They've all been sort of touched and molded and changed slightly by the influence of Germanic um, folktales and mythology and all that stuff. It's sure. Even Santa Claus is a permutation of Odin, according to some scholars. Really? I thought he was yes. or at least uh, Eastern European. St. Nicholas might be, but Santa Claus, the way we perceive him. <laughs> huh. <laughs> That is interesting. <laughs> if you ever, speaking of Santa Claus, if you ever get a chance to go up to Pittsburgh in between, in, in December or January, they have this really cool display in the middle of Pittsburgh that is all of the Santa Clauses from all over the world, even the weird racist ones from the Netherlands. And their life size <laughs> are slightly larger than life size. And they've got like the story of, of what makes this Santa different than somebody else. And so they've, I think they've got like 25 different Santa Clauses there, which is a pretty cool, if you're ever in Pittsburgh at the end of the year or the beginning of the new year, then it's always a, a good chance to. Totally. Do I'll some, do that. Some culture. I like to. And also if you're in Pittsburgh, go to the church brew works. Uh, you'll get some killer food and the beer is good too, but the food is so much better. Anyway, <laughs> have I not been there. Pizza. Next time I'm in Pittsburgh, I will check that out for sure. I had a pierogi pizza. It was amazing. And they make chocolate ice cream with the wort from their stout. And I'm a beer freak. And Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really good time. Oh my gosh. Anyways. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our conversation about American gods. You can find Mikey's artwork and his music at MikeyMason.com or MikeyMason.Bandcamp.com. His Beer Powered Time Machine podcast is at BeerPoweredTimeMachine.com. And his All in the Reflexes podcast is at AITRPodcast.com. You can also find both of those podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher. Folks, oh, if yeah. you like what we do, then please head on over to ThereforeIGeek.com. Check out our old blog posts and our podcasts you can also find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. So, I am Tracy. I've been here with Mikey Mason. Go to MikeyMason.BandCamp.com and download my American Gods EP for free. Or if you really like me, you can tip me for it. So, once again, you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. <laughs>